Welcome to Keeping It Real with Frankie D, the very first Italian-American podcast and the home of your Italian-American moment. I'm your very proud host, Frankie D, and we can be heard at ItalianAmericanLife.com, on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast app. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. My guest today is Alfonso Guerriero, the author of From Fra Angelico to Frankie One-Eye, An Examination of Italian-American Nicknames and Identity in the 21st Century. Alfonso, welcome to the show. Wow, Frankie D, thank you so much. Before we begin, I just want to thank you for rescheduling our interview. And I also want to tell you and your listeners that this is my first podcast, so I'm really excited. I mean, I've done the usual press around my book, which has been well-received, but this is a new experience, so thank you so much again. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I did read the book and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Very interesting. Um, A different take uh, than most of the books. Uh, I will say that. So That was the objective. That was the objective. Yeah, I kind of figured that and you did it well. So what is your actual profession? So I teach at uh, Baruch College. I'm an adjunct lecturer. I teach uh, world literature from the 18th century to 20th century. And I've been doing that for the last 18 years and I love it. Um, And I I wanted to do this. I mean, I wanted to write a book about my heritage. And this is your first book? This is my first book. Uh, there's, There's a few other books lined up, but yes, this is my first book. Wow, well, hell of a job. You hit a home run on the first time up the bat. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, um, tell us a little bit about the book and how you came to write on this particular subject. Well, with, with respect to the book and the reason for writing it, there, there are a few layers. So if you will, can allow me, first and foremost, um, the idea of race and ethnicity have always been at the forefront of our country's history. I think it's, it is what defines us. And so with that, when you live in a country where race and ethnicity is so prevalent, there can be a level of confusion for young people trying to uh, figure out their place in the world, if you, if you know what I mean. So w- when I was growing up, there was a, a clash of cultures that I personally, personally experienced, uh, a duality of cultures, as they say. What I mean is that my father was from Italy and he's from a town called Mugnano del Cardinale, Provincia di Avellino, province of Avellino. Um, And so I'm the youngest of three. When my brother, sister and I, we would travel. And when my first time traveling was when I was three going on four, my relatives, my cousins in particular, and their friends would, would always address us as a Medigan, a Medigan is arrivata. You know, the Americans have arrived. They, they speak a Neapolitan uh, vernacular, if you will. And so that's really the, the you could say, the, the, the genesis of the idea of nicknames. Um, but now where does that go with as far as the duality of cultures? So when I would return back to, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised in New York City. When I would return home, I was the Italian kid, the Italian boy, if you will. And so, I mean, I, I go to Italy, I'm the, Ameri- I'm the American, I, I come back to my own homeland and I'm the Italian. And, you know, it, it kind of creates this uh, level of confusion and struggle with identity. 
now, I've noticed through the years that more and more people, at least in America, identify themselves as American. That's, that's more or less in 2022. And I think that, that that's great. You know, if, if you want to identify yourself as American, great. You know, however, and, and this is the issue that I have, um, I identify myself as the hyphenated American. And when, when groups or individuals dismiss that, completely dismiss that idea, I'm going to push back and I'm going to present my argument. Now, I understand, you know, going back in the early 20th century, we had a, a time when President Theodore Roosevelt said that the hyphenated American is un-American. I completely disagree with that idea. And here's why. Because first of all, um, being that my father was an immigrant and I saw him, I saw him work, I, he had two jobs, he worked really hard. Um, I saw him struggle with the language. I also saw him struggle with the assimilation process, which could present its own challenges. So when I, when I, when I experienced this, um, I myself was, was feeling a little bit confused in some ways. Um, I didn't have necessarily the privilege that third, fourth, fifth generation Americans have in, in a sense. And then on, on top of that, I, I grew up again, as I said, in New York City, and there's a, there's a district in New York City called the Lower East Side. Um, I would say in the early 20th century was predominantly Italian immigrants, and that's going up as far up as till the 1960s. Then the neighborhood changes. I would say probably uh, in the 1960s, it changes to Hispanic, there's predominantly Hispanic. And that's where I come in. I, I'm in my 50s. So I, I, I kind of come in with the Hispanic community more so and more Italians are, are leaving to the suburbs. And so when I addressed myself and my friends, my friends, we're talking about late 70s, early 80s, we addressed ourselves as either Italian American like myself or, or Irish American uh, Russian American, you know, that, that's how we did it. That, that's, that's basically how we identified my, ourselves. Now, there are, there are those occasions when I would just say Italian, you know, for whatever, for whatever reason. Uh, my mother, who was born in, in, in America, she would identify herself as Italian American. I mean, she was a proud American, but she would make sure that when my friends came over, that, you know, she wasn't the old lady dressed in black. She was an American and she was a proud American. However, she stressed, I'm Italian American. And I think part of that was passed on to me. Now, the other part to this layer to answer your, your original question is this. So the other thing is that in New York City, um, Italian American boys in the 1980s had the highest dropout rate in New York City and the United States, the highest dropout rate among white European males. And, you know, that, that, that kind of crushes you a bit, right? Because, again, as I said earlier, everyone wants to identify and, ha and have pride in their ethnicity and their culture. And so when I'm hearing this, I'm like, oh, okay. And then, obviously, you know, television is, is, is paramount in, in our lives. Uh, there were these sitcoms, Welcome Back Carter, Vinnie Barbarino, Happy Days was, was like on the top uh, ratings and, and Arthur, the Fonzarelli, you know, and, and then Friends, Joey 
Tribbiani and all that. And all of these guys, basically these characters were, were philanderers, were, were uneducated. And it just kind of did something to me uh, as, as, a, as a young boy growing up and trying to find my place in this country that race and, and nationality means a lot. So I, I asked myself as I, as I got older um, and, and as we entered the 21st century, what does it actually mean to be an Italian American? I mean, we are the, we are the, the country that, that produced Cicero and, and Galileo and Dante and Pierandello and all these great, great artists but yet in America, we're, we're, we are the um, brunt end of jokes. We are, we are just completely reduced to, to buffoons and good fellow goons. So, you know, it was, it was a little bit troubling when I, when I went to, to college and I attended college, I was still thinking about this, this idea. But then I also said to myself, like, what else can I say about Italian American identity, Italian American studies that hasn't been said, you know, and we're talking now about, you know, 2005, 10, around there. And, and luckily I, I uh, joined this um, geolinguistic uh, organization. It's a nonprofit organization. It was created by in the, an Italian um, called Mario Pei in 1965. He's a Columbia University linguist and it's called the American um, Society of Geolinguistics. And so I began to realize, you know, the idea of, of language matters a lot. And just to take a step back, this is why I, I feel like when somebody asked me the other day while I was doing my, uh, you know, my, my press, they were like, well, what's the genre of your book? And I said, well, it's, it's definitely education, it's, it's history, it's ethnic studies, and it's, it's personal memoir, right? But it, it also is not only for Italians or Italian Americans, it's for all groups who want to get a better perspective on their culture. And, and I decided to, to do a little bit of a different twist. And here's what I mean. So when we define Italian American identity, generally speaking, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but generally speaking, we say, well, we're very family oriented. We love food and faith, right? The, you know, the Vatican and, and, and all that. I hope so. Great history. <laughs> right. I hope, hope so on the last fact. point. For the, for the most part. For the, for most, the most part, part yes. Right? I mean, that's generally the big themes of a, of a lot of Italian American literature and, and, and what have you. So I said to myself, well, I want to be different. I want to, I, want to, I want to add something to this because to me, there was something more. And what I realized was this, because I, I have now thankfully published some, some papers with, with the American Society of Geolinguistics, I realized when I looked over all the papers that it was always connected to the idea of nicknames, nicknames, whether it's Italian or Italian-American nicknames. And I thought to myself, I, see, I said, you know what? Uh, there's a social scientist his name is Richard Alber, and he, he wrote a, a, a paper, in, I think it was in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. And basically his, his whole premise is how there's the, the Italian Americans are in their twilight. And basically what he means is that 
you know, because so many Italian Americans are intermarrying and there's there's all they're also getting involved with different religions. There's there's a tendency of losing that. And that's that's true. So what I wanted to do was create something or, or, or in some ways add to the to the definition of what does it mean to be an Italian American in, in this century. So I looked at it and I said, well, wait a second. I, I did a paper on um, the Renaissance artist, which I don't know if your listeners know, but most of the Renaissance artists like Giotto, Tintoretto, Ghirondaio, um, Donatello, all of them, they're, they're nicknames. Fra Angelico, my title, Fra Angelico, those are, those are all nicknames. I mean, they have official names, but the, the interesting thing there is that we don't know them by their official names. We know them by their nicknames. And that to me was so fascinating. And then I went, and as I said, I had the privilege to travel to my father's town numerous times. Um, and they have these, these amazing, I mean, you read the book, you know what I mean? These eccentric and very like interesting, let's just say nicknames, which I love some of them. So I began to like analyze that. And I, I had gone to other towns and they were like, yeah, this is part of what we do here. You know, because think about this, right? Most Italian American or Italians for that matter, boys, they generally have the, the names of the, uh, of the apostles, right? So if you have everybody in, in the family or in the town is named Peter, well, you're going to have to distinguish between, well, who, which Peter do you mean? You know, the one that lives in the south end of the town or the one that lives in the Midwest whose father maybe has, a, has some kind of like grocery of some kind, right? So it, it makes sense to have these, uh, these nicknames. And then cross over now to the United States. Uh, in one of my chapters, I, I write about how Nicholas Pileggi, who I interviewed and did a great book appraisal, uh, for my book, and I'm so, so thankful for him to do that. Um, what, what I'm basically saying, and I think it's chapter five, yes, chapter five, it's, it's Mario Puzo and Nicholas Pileggi, in my opinion, two of the, one of the greatest uh, journalists, American journalists, but also very influential Italian-American writers. And so the, the whole point of that chapter is really how, how journalists, how the media, will create nicknames that are based on um, their subjects. Their meaning like the, the, the Godfather and Nicholas Pileggi's, the Goodfellas, um, Casino. They use, usually newspaper editors use what's known as intertextual, intertextuality, which basically means that they, they'll, they'll create wordplay or puns. And in New York City, we have these two tabloids called the, the New York Post and the Daily News. And they are notorious for this whenever there is a, you know, unfortunately the albatross around our necks are the organized crime, right? Whenever there's an organized crime individual that's been arrested, they'll, they'll create a pun and they'll twist it where, you know, you wanna sell newspapers, but obviously they're conveying a particular idea that everybody laughs and then they, it, it attracts them to read the story. So for example, um, and I love using this example because it's, it's just so memorable. I was in, in 2017, I was in Florida with my family and my wife and I were buying groceries. And um, I, I looked over the counter and there's this headline, daily news, it says dog father. And so why did it say dog father? Because 
this former uh, Gambino associate or, or made member was actually now trying to move away from his crim criminal life. And he you know, came into the uh, idea of saving animals, in particular dogs. So their headline was dog father. And so they do this, this intertextuality, they do this often where you'll have a headline that, that will say sob fella or so piranhas, meaning like the, the idea of the, um, the, the, uh, per, the uh, what do you call the, that HBO series, um, the Sopranos, the Sopranos. Yes. And so all of these headlines are, are basically geared to sell newspapers. However, the, the nicknames are really perpetuating the Italian American stereotype. And, and I don't only want to fault the, the uh, tabloid newspapers here in New York City. I, I don't only want to do that. I mean, this is going on throughout, throughout the country. Well, um, since, we're talking about, since we're talking about that, though, and you brought it up earlier, uh, yes. we are portrayed in a bad image, you know, the television shows, characters, the movie characters. Oh, God, yes. The newspapers. Why do you think that we are consistently portrayed in this way? Because I think we, we've allowed it. We're one of the few groups that kind of take a very passive approach. I think one of the reasons is the fact that early, early on in the 20th century, when we first arrived, we are one of the few ethnic groups that really decide to abandon the, the culture. I mean, the, those that come to, to America really feel like, oh, I want my, my children to learn English. I don't necessarily want them to carry on the Italian language. And why? Because they feel threatened. I mean, of course they feel threatened, right? What, what happened in, in 1890s where you had 11 Italians that, that were lynched? Actually, they were, I think, nine and, and, and two or three that were actually immigrants themselves and they were lynched. So when you have already that background and you're coming to a country because you're trying to lose whatever is happening, the war, the famine, uh, whatever's going on in, in Italy, you're trying to escape that and you're coming here, but you also realize that you're not necessarily welcomed. So what are you gonna do? Well, you're gonna try to assimilate as fast as you can. And I think that we did that, but in the process, we, we lost some of that identity. And, and honestly, we, we became the, uh, the buffoons, if you will. We, we became the, the brunt end of jokes, as I said earlier. And, and that's, that's really too bad. And I, and I think that it's funny because when I asked Nicholas Pileggi this question of, of how, I, I asked him, I said, you know, like a lot of what you've written as well as Mario Puzo, it, it's used to, to create the, or to perpetuate the stereotype and his response was, look, when I was growing up, we, we were the buffoons. Like, think about Abbott and Costello, right? You have the, the fat and skinny. What's, uh, what's Bud Abbott's role? His role is to be like the, 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 the smart guy. And Lou Costello is the dumb guy. So he's slapping him around and saying, come on, you're, you're, you're stupid. You're dumb. You're this and that. And, and what does that do to the psyche of, of, of us, of, of the culture itself? Well... And so what Pelleggi does, and, and he, you know, I think artfully did, is that, look, there is this other side. It's not necessarily a, a, the best side, but I also want you to tell us a little bit more about our culture. And, and so he, you know, he didn't, he didn't mince any words. He was, uh, 
very clear in, in, in what he said. And you could read that in that chapter, chapter five, how he responds to the question. Well, I mean, I, I never, um, you never can tell a man that he's not allowed to make money. So an actor, a director, producer, they want to do a, a, a film about the mob. Who am I to tell them they can't? Right. Having said that, I, I agree with you that it, it, we do it to ourselves, definitely. We allow this stuff to happen. We're the only group that would be yes. able, that allows to be portrayed continuously yes. in print, TV, the movie screen, in a bad light. Um, unfortunately, you know, I'm on Facebook and you just see so many people that they worship Tony Soprano. Yes. And yes. I want to say to them, you do realize this is a fictitious character in a television show. This is not right. a real human being. Uh, so right off the bat, you know, you shouldn't worship someone who's fake. And secondly, even if this was based on real, this is your hero. I mean, there, there's something wrong with that. Uh, they well, need to realize better heroes. Uh, but real quick, what I was going to get at as well is the thing is, I know we can't stop Hollywood from making it because they make too much money. It seems to be a very popular subject uh, with Americans. But if we could make films in a positive light to show some of the gentlemen's names that you mentioned earlier, uh, right. some of the more modern ones, that would start to at least even the playing field a little. I think what you have to do first, and that's what I try to do in the, in the book, is try to educate those and explain to them what you're actually doing. So that conversation needs to happen. And I think I, I, I at least uh, attempt to make that conversation. I try to call them out. I try to call the journalists out. I try to call the newspaper editors out. I, I know a few um, and I've tried to have private conversations around this. And, and, and you're right. You know, it, it's, it's about selling newspapers, um, unfortunately, but at the same time, they understand where I'm coming from. And, and that's what I try to point out in the book. At the same time, um, a book like mine, when, we, when, you, when you analyze and examine a wide range of nicknames, you know, unfortunately, not, not, not unfortunately, but, but nicknames are part of gang culture. So for me, my book, I had to have also kind of analyzed that, that aspect, that angle. I didn't want to necessarily dismiss that. No, let's go full force and, and let's look at it. I'm, I'm certainly not lauding these individuals. Absolutely not. Because that's why I say in my introduction, you know, I, I struggled. I struggled with my ethnic identity. I like so many people, so many people that their group is wrongly uh, portrayed in Hollywood and the media, right? And so this is why I really feel passionate about getting this message across. No, and definitely, I uh, I don't want you to take it the wrong way. No, you. No, no, no. no. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just right. kind of reiterating what you're saying. No, no, you no. Touch on all nicknames, and nicknames are definitely more than just. Those guys, uh, that's for sure. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about that you mentioned earlier was the hyphenated American. And yep. when you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt, and I got to tell you, that just, God, it bothers me so much. And reason why. But Frank, why did he do that? Why did he do that? He did that during a time when nativists really controlled the political rhetoric at the time. So if you, if you remember, um, 
this is, it was around 1915. And then what happens the, the decade 1920s right after? So they passed the 1924-1927 Immigration Quota Act. And that act is limiting, in particular, in particular, immigrants from Southeastern Europe. Now, why? Because the, first and foremost, there's so many more Italians that are arriving in 1890s, 1900s, 1910s. They're like, whoa, there's too many coming in, right? There's many Eastern European Jews that are arriving. Whoa, too many, we can't, right? So th this, this uh, uh, legislation here is targeting a particular group. And that's why Roosevelt, who is kind of like, you know, like politicians do, right? They're gonna, they're gonna promote and, and, and talk to their fan base. And their, and their fan base at the time even before Roosevelt or the nativists who feel like, no, America, America, you know, we need that wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. We don't want to lose that, you know, and, and, and you know, as well as I do that when our, when our um, ancestors arrived in, in America, at, at one point, they're not even considered white. You know, it's like, well, what, what are we, especially Southern Italians? And this whole idea of like being Italian for, for Southerners in particular was like something different because the idea of nation state, which actually starts around the 19th century, that was something different. If, if, if you were from the Campania region or the Lazio region, that's, that's your, your, your loyalty is there. This idea of like Italian, what does that actually mean? Like we don't really see that. We don't understand that. And that's why I feel like this is also another conversation to have about the complexity of, of race in the United States and how we don't really understand the real complexity of, of, of race, of whiteness. You know, it's, it's, it's complex, right? And, and I just wish that people would understand that there were other Europeans arriving that at one time they, they, weren't, they weren't necessarily uh, accepted and they were, they were frowned upon. Very true. Very true. And, you know, the, the, the history of Italian Americans uh, and Italians, and it's it's a it's a uh, can be a confusing state. It can be, you know, and, and the experience of somebody who you know, like myself, I, I grew up in Chicago uh, in an Italian American area, as opposed to somebody with an Italian name that maybe grew up in North Carolina or grew up in Kansas or grew up in, you know, Utah. There are different experiences. And it's, it's almost someone like me who like puts my heart and soul into it, like you, it can be exhausting. Yes. It can be exhausting yes. and an arduous it, journey. And it can also be um, where you start to question. And sometimes I wonder like, do the people in Italy like really give a crap if we here are trying to hold on to all this culture and this identity and, 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 this, uh, and this knowledge and this heritage do they care that we want to do this? I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's a whole a whole yeah. thing. Um, yeah. One of the you so you did a uh, roughly twenty interviews in the book. No, I, I well I guess there's about twenty five, and then the rest, which is a total of thirty three stories in 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 its entirety. Oh, okay, okay. What's is what's called cultural vignettes. So what I do is I try to put myself in the story and the experience. Like for example. Tony Danza that hopefully some of your listeners would, would know, um, you know, he was Who's the Boss and Taxi. Um, one day, I think it was in 2019, I went to the San Gennaro here in New York City 
and I, I met, he owns a, a um, cheese store here in New York City called Aliva. And um, I met his, his, uh, the, the co-owner of the cheese store. And she said, oh, you know, Tony's going to be here. It's the feast. It was the first day, this and that. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I'd like to interview him. She said, all right, I can't guarantee it, but this, this and that. So I then actually meet him. But he was busy because he also likes to be very involved with the with the uh, business itself. So what I ended up doing, and I kind of take this uh, this literary style, if you will, um, Gay Talese, who is another person that I that I interview in the book. Um, you know, they created this idea of new journalism, and um, what I try to do is I incorporate myself in the story so that I don't technically interview them, but I, I'm near them and I see their motions and I try to describe what I'm seeing. So yes, there's like 20, 25, say biographies or profiles. And then the other uh, six or seven is what I call cultural vignettes. Okay, no, very interesting. Uh, I just wanted to highlight one uh, that I really enjoyed, the astronaut, uh, oh. Mike. Massimino, I guess his yes. name is Astro Mike. Yes. See, he's got yes. his name too. <laughs> and I just really enjoyed his story and yep. the fact of him, a brilliant man, but kept getting rejected from NASA. Yes, yes. And I believe yes. it was, uh, while I'm looking at the book, Massimino yeah. was rejected three times by NASA. Despite yep. graduating from Columbia University with an engineering yep. degree and earning four advanced degrees from MIT but he didn't give up. Yeah, and he says, I, I couldn't control the outcome, but I could control myself and I can control what I wanted. And yeah, you talk about perseverance, which oh, is what I try to highlight. I love that kind of story. That, that, that's, a, yeah. that's a great story. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's a few of them that are like that, yeah. Yeah, no, great book. Uh, I will say this, it's a beautiful book. It's a hardcover. When I got it, I'm like, a hardcover? I didn't think hardcovers existed anymore. Oh, they exist. Yeah. You they, don't they see it a lot, though. You really don't. You see, here's and I'm assuming money-wise, I don't know. Uh, well, well, here's the thing. So uh, I got, I have great editors. Um, the American Society of Geolinguistics kind of gave me a, a helping hand as well as the Lulu Press people. But here's the thing. So as far as the book cover, many, many people have, have talked. It's even on Amazon. Uh, many people love the book cover. So you know the old adage, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, I'm going to I'm going to challenge that and say, well, the book cover is is great because everyone loves the illustration, but the illustration definitely reflects the content of inside the book itself. But I just want to give a shout out to my illustrator, Jack Miller, who is a very talented, talented illustrator. And, and he you know, we talked about two months and I said, Jack, this is what I this is my vision. This is how I see this. Right. And he was like, all right. And we came, went back and forth and he gave me like several drafts. And honestly, I, I have to tell you this, what the way I envisioned it is exactly, exactly the way he executed it is exactly how I saw it. And it's really amazing. It's great to have that kind of like you're in sync with the artist and yourself. Excellent. Absolutely. No, it's a beautiful cover, beautiful book. Uh, it's just really nice. Uh, very good read. Um, where do please tell everyone, how do you get the book? So you could go on Amazon, amazon.com, and you can, you know, title it or, or, or write my name in the search. There's Barnes and Noble. Um, there's other worldwide bookstores that also have it available. I mean, I, I just got the notice that, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're doing pretty good right now. So I'm, I'm really happy. 
Um, I, I can't say enough, but again, I, I want to emphasize that I, I really, as you said, I'm, I'm passionate about this as you are. I want to get this out there. I really want, I want to change the narrative. I want to change the narrative of, of what Italian American means to people. I, I think that's necessary, but I also want to use it almost as a bridge to, to also other individuals who kind of struggle and, and the media doesn't portray perhaps their race or nationality the way they feel that they should. Well, guess what? The great thing about this is that nicknames is, is in all world languages. I mean, we could go to the beginning of time and, and research the idea of, of nicknames. And what I'm trying to do is trying to like offer an, a, new, a new perspective, a, a, a new prism in terms of how you can view your heritage. And it's really becomes fascinating, honestly. Well, definitely uh, for me, your passion comes through in the book and your, uh... Uh, it's genuine, yes. genuine passion. Okay. Sincere. And I love that. And uh, great book. Thank you for the interview. Uh, oh, and yeah. uh, you know what? Thank you for writing a book like that and, and wanting to achieve the things you want to achieve for our people. Cause that's very important yeah. to me. Listen, thank you for having me again. And one other thing, yes. I know you're based in Chicago. Yes, I'm I'm in New York. I'm sorry. We're going to have this conversation. If you ever come to New York City, I'm going to take you some some great pizza places. I know the Chicago style pizza is, you know, I was in Chicago once. I had the Chicago style pizza. I'm going to say that I, I enjoyed it. But which honestly, one did you I, have? I'm not sure. I, I did went you have deep dish. Style. Yes, the deep okay. dish. Yes. I don't know the name of the place. That OK, we went. but real quick, the deep dish pizza, which apparently was invented here is really, really, really not for Chicagoans, the true Chicago style pizza. It's okay. the thin crust tavern style. We cut it in squares. That's your real- well, That's more like a Sicilian, like we call a Sicilian here in New York. Okay, but the, but the deep dish, who, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not even a big fan of deep dish. That's just okay. too much All for right. me. I was gonna uh, say. Kind of like a... everybody thinks that's it, but I will definitely take you up on that. And if you come back to Chicago, please, I would love to take you to Listen, some- uh, I definitely places. will be visiting Chicago and you come to New York and we're going to compare- we're going to have this, uh, this little. That sounds great. I love pizza. Love it. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So Alfonso, thank you so much. And I highly recommend, uh, the book from Fra Angelico to Frankie one eye and always everyone out there, all our people remember, respect your culture. Have a great day.